You're listening to the Lean Built Podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm Andrew. In this podcast, we discuss our manufacturing companies, lean principles, and the freedom that we're pursuing in life and business. I needed some content for the morning meeting. In September, specifically September 24th, 2019, I had gone to a Lean Leadership Global Summit. Of course, Paul Akers was there, but it's really grown. There's another guy, Ryan Tierney, that we've talked about on the podcast. All the guys that put out Lean content were there, and it was really great. And we toured one company called Phoenix Technology, and Phoenix, spelled P-H-E-N-I-X, like when you talk about niche, they make, I don't want to say fake, but mock firefighting environments to train firefighters. So like one of their off the shelf products is like a kitchen. So firefighters would have to go into a kitchen or you've seen like at some airports, I think it was the Austin airport. There's an old fuselage where they do firefighter training or maybe it's at LAX, but that's what this company does. And they had like RVs, they had small vehicles. And so they've created this niche and they are definitely the most impressive company when it comes to lean that I've been in physically. There's lots of good companies online, but I've been there. And one of the things, one of the posters, the photo that I ran across today is one of the posters talks about the levels of lean maturity. And it was refreshing for me to see that this morning because I know we have people come to our facility, especially like our local college, our university, Cal State University, Northridge, CSUN, they come I give the students a one hour tour and they're like the top engineers that's a school. And they're just, you can tell like they've just drank from a fire hose. They're overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. And then you have like customers that I'll do tours or if people travel from far away, sure. If you come from Australia, pretty much I'll give you a tour. That's everything. Yeah. And it's just, I see the look on people's faces. They're overwhelmed. They're impressed. I would question how many go back and actually have actionable events. Now, that's why we want to put our content on YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff, so that we can give people bite-sized lean inspirations. But this photo was one of the best photos I've seen just for myself personally, because I have to keep in mind there's levels of maturity in lean. And the first thing we did is we watched Paul Aker's shop tour video, factory tour. And then the next thing we did was we 3S'd. And then the third thing we did was we redid our mill setup cart. That was John and I back in 2015. Yep. And it was like those three days, we felt like we achieved so much in lean. Now we've got a dozen guys doing lean improvements today. They may have like major improvements, but at this point in the company, almost a decade of doing lean, the incremental improvements, there's a diminishing returns. Like, yeah, we made this a little bit better. But it wasn't as big as like when we 3S the shop and we got rid of stuff that just did not make work holding products. Like all my Amazon boxes, all my projects, my bike, all that stuff. My wife's extra boxes of something from the two moves ago. And I realized that's what I think I want to start emphasizing is lean comes in different waves of maturity, of engagement, and really like a lot of pushback we get. Like people will talk about lean and say, that's not for me. And I go, yeah, you know what? If you feel this is not for you, then don't do it. I or Andrew Henry or Paul Akers, we are not telling you you have to do this. Just take the principles and shape it to your company. I think that's a really powerful approach to lean engagement. Well, that I had the opportunity to give a couple of shop tours. So last week I had a class of sixth and seventh graders 
Fun. from Cedars Christian School come to the shop. And we did a bunch of stuff. They got to watch the mills run. We showed them our 3D printers and we had some sample parts. We actually cut a sign out of cardboard on the laser. We gave them a name of their school sign, Cedars, cut out uh -huh. of a nice thick double ply, double wall cardboard. But we had a pallet jack obstacle course race where we loaded up a, a small pallet jack with a small pallet and some tippy boxes. Mm -hmm. And they had to, on the clock, go through a series of obstacles, a little race course with some things they had to go around and whoever had the best time without tipping over the load, like won a, won a free t-shirt. It was just That's really cool. fun stuff. That's awesome. But for those kids, it's really not about showing them lean as much as it is about opening their eyes to manufacturing. You can build a company that makes things and it can employ dozens of people. It can create all kinds of fascinating work to do. Work is not drudgery. Yeah. Work is creativity and problem solving and adding new things to the world. So right. that was super fun. And then earlier, no, actually that same day, Dan and Jenna from Oz Machine, which is a knife company in Attica, Indiana, came down and they stayed for an hour or two and I showed them everything I could. And I can get too much of a fire hose. Like, hey, forget the hose. Just hold your face right here by the hydrant. Uh -huh. And I'm just going to crank the cover off the hydrant and let it just knock you off the sidewalk into the street. Right. But what was interesting to me is obviously they're running a company, they're growing, they are not at square zero, they're at square some other number. They've progressed, mm -hmm. they've made a bunch of products and they're doing work. But the number of things that they noticed in the shop and had questions about was really exciting because I didn't have to give them a tour mm -hmm. so much as just let them walk around and ask questions about anything that they saw that they wanted to know about. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, you can ask me questions about anything in here. Some of it won't be relevant because our products are different from your products and our problems are not necessarily your problems. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have more space constraints than we do. And so a lot of our solutions wouldn't be practical for you. Yeah. Maybe you don't have that many employees. And so the way that we organize who works on what isn't particularly applicable to you. Yeah. Um, right. But there were a lot of things that they saw. Jenna took a ton of pictures of stuff. I told her she could take pictures of anything she wanted. The number of things that they found interesting and helpful made it really rewarding for me to spend time with them because I am happy to see small manufacturing companies not have to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again. Enough people enough other companies have gone through the gauntlet and learned mm. a lot of lessons yeah. that we shouldn't expect. You don't need to reinvent stuff. Yeah. Not every small company needs to discover the Pythagorean theorem of right. lean. We know this is an established body of knowledge. There are approaches and tools and methods mm -hmm. to help you find the right size, right fit lean approach for your company. Yeah. And I love Paul Akers. I really like Ryan Tierney's stuff. We actually were watching one of his podcast episodes in our morning meeting today, which is the stop and fix it, the most recent mm -hmm. one, three or four days ago. Because we just had an issue where we're running a basically first production run of a new variant of an existing product, which means the documentation is just now being built and the QC steps for this new assembly are just being developed. And not everybody has seen this before. It's new to a number of people. And we also have several brand new employees in the mix. So there's been a change in material, a change in manpower, a change in methods. Like we've made a bunch of variables all shift at the same time. 
and we ran into problems. We had some parts defected out in assembly. We had some parts defected out in finishing. We made extra parts knowing that this was going to be the first run of a new thing. But what I emphasized this morning in our meeting is, guys, we have some of these scrap parts in this little defect bin because the person who was working on them, something wasn't right. And rather than stopping, they kept going. Mm -hmm. And when you keep going, stuff that is slightly wrong. We had the same thing today. We were machining a part we have not made in a super long time. And the critical piece of information that did not get communicated was that we have a specific set of custom soft jaws. And what happened is the employee who was running that job did not know there were jaws already made for it because we haven't run that job since before I hired him. Mm -hmm. And so we had just not a miscommunication, but there was relevant information that wasn't really documented anywhere. Mm -hmm. I didn't think to mention, and he didn't know to ask for. And the end result was they put a bunch of parts in the machine and they all got face milled too deep. And I went over and started digging through our soft jaw drawer. And sure enough, there they were right there, a pair of jaws made specifically for this that were not engraved, marked, or tagged in any way. They were just there in the drawer. And anytime I'd run this job in the past, I knew, okay, yeah, this fixture goes with that set of jaws. But I never communicated it. Yeah. Anytime we have those kind of legacy jobs, sort of, it's a necro production run where a zombie job comes back to life. I need to be involved in the initial setup stages. All that information is still in my brain. And it's not the kind of thing where I'm going to sit down and just download all of it into a spreadsheet somewhere. I'm not going to remember the answer until you prompt me with the exact question. But when you prompt me with the exact question, I'm like, oh yeah, like we have jaws for that. Why aren't you using the jaws that I know, but you don't know that we have for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody took it with good humor. And obviously the problem was me. Yeah. I would not expect an employee who had never run those parts before and had never seen that fixture installed on their machine before to know that there's some other component that he needs that I know about that he's never seen before yeah. that he has to ask before. To intuitively figure it out. So that whole thing happened. We made some bad parts and I've got those parts in a defect bin to show at our morning meeting tomorrow and talk about the idea, the principle uh -huh. that the answer should be found where you ask the question. Yes. Huge and those soft jaws yeah. mm -hmm. should have been stored with the fixture. Mm -hmm. They should have been labeled as a matched set with the fixture. They should have been in a bin with the fixture. The answer to what do I need to run this legacy job should have been found where the parts to make the job were all together. Yes. Because we can't expect anybody to know things that predate their employment in the company. Yeah. And so, I can't expect anybody to know to ask me about a thing that they have no awareness of. Rearranging our tooling and our soft jars and our fixturing in a way to make it obvious if you're going to use this other stuff goes with it. And yeah. if you don't know what, the, what this other stuff is for, that's an opportunity for us to engrave things, laser mark things, improve the documentation, and actually make those connections close. Mm -hmm. Because the, how the company has actually functioned is the answer is found in the deep, dark recesses of Andrew's brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And that does not scale. That is not lean. If I were out sick for a week, there would be no way for anybody to get a hold of the information that's hidden in the recesses of my mind. Yeah. That information needs to be communicated with labels, with storage systems, binning. It needs to be clearly communicated in the CAM files. There should be notes in the CAM file, like pair this fixture with this set of soft jaws that are specifically made for this fixture. And then the answers would be right there. You would have to, you'd have to trip over them to get to the job. Our friends, John Saunders, John Grimsel, obviously great podcast, right? And they've used this term over the years. They have process bins. And for me, I had a, a realization recently in listening to their podcast. When I hear process bins, I think of the four colors of bins we have black for scrap, red for raw materials, blue for in process or bonus stock, and gray, good to go, right? That's what we just call process bins. But I realize like their definition of process bin and ours are different. Not that one is wrong and one is right, but I realize that I believe, and I should just ask one of them, like when you have a process bin, it's a physical bin with all the little tools you need and documentation and maybe some material of how to do this or that process, like that exists in that bin. So when you want to do this process, you grab that bin and there's your set of work instructions and your tools and photos and all those resources. I think that's what, what you would go for, that type of process yes, bin. That's exactly what I saw when I visited John Saunders' shop. Okay, January. great. Yeah. And I stole, we didn't have that particular style of Uline bin in our shop. Mm -hmm. So- that was a very impactful shop tour for me to take. Mm -hmm. I was in Ohio for two days for some defense training. I stayed over an extra night and then drove to Saunders' shop and was there for a couple hours in the morning. And it was great to see his shop up close because I watch his videos on YouTube, normally sped up because I'm ADD, but I watch his videos and I often see things in the background and I wish I could have 10 more seconds to see the thing that just sort of flashed by as he turned in the camera pan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting for me to be able to actually be there and spend some time with John and ask questions about particular things that I noticed in the shop. But the process bins were one of the things that I blatantly stole after mm -hmm. that visit, which was I came back to Bloomington and immediately ordered a bunch of Uline bins. And we only use them in two colors because they primarily exist in our shipping area. So we have blue for all of our routine items and we have red for urgent items and custom builds. Mm. And so those two things get handled differently based on what bin color they're in, mm -hmm. but we've still preferred to use clear Sterilite bins everywhere else in the shop where we're handling parts mm -hmm. or tooling. So our process bins, the way that Saunders does process bins is very much like you described. There might be laminated documentation. There might be a particular Torx driver or a little bottle of oil or this or that thing or spare inserts or whatever. All the things that pertain to that job are co-located in a mm -hmm. labeled process bin. So you yeah. don't have to pick it up, read the documentation, and then go on a scavenger hunt for right. five or six things that are co-used for a bunch of other things around the shop. It's like, hey, if there's a particular wrench that I have to have for this job to change the filter on our air compressor, yeah. I'm going to buy an extra one of that wrench and it lives in the process bin. Yeah. The pushback on John's approach would be, well, you have four cans of oil or you know droppers. And I would defend John and say, yeah, you absolutely have redundancy because the cost of that little two ounce tube of some pipe sealant or something used on that process or pipe tape, it's way less than the cost of you walking around trying to find it, borrowing it, not putting it back. It's a beautiful process. There should be redundancy in those process bins. Yeah. 
and and the redundancy also protects you against outages because as much as anybody wants to defend that they've got the world's best ERP implementation, yep. mm-hmm. our shop is literally crammed with things yeah. that don't exist in our ERP because the, the ERP is a digital simulation of reality. Yeah, right. It doesn't yeah. make anything. It doesn't yeah. do anything. See, that's it why I would- only exists. I would advocate- track. Yeah, for you to, I would advocate for a physical process bin where everything lives. Like we have travelers and we have all the setup sheets, that type of thing and notes. And then we keep that in what we call the big book. It's our basically recipe book for everything. And then it tells you where on the network you pulled the cam stuff and gives us all the saw data. But yeah, that's kind of the problem with digital ERPs when they're hyper digital and you go, no, 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 we're a paper-free office, paper-free company. That kind of gives me pause because I know the downfalls of a paper-free office or company works great when your data is perfect. And I'm sorry, humans don't create great data. They don't do a great job at maintaining it. Now, to be fair, Mm -hmm. a paper-free office has never met a post-it note-free office. (laughs) The paper-free office only refers to eight and a half by 11 things that get spit out by a laser printer. Yes. Post-it notes are free. Yes. As many as you want. We have post-it note dispensers all over the place. And in one sense, that can be a crutch for fixing processes. Uh-huh. On the other hand, the ability to create a durable but temporary physical artifact anywhere in the shop quickly is so valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if I have a bin of stuff and it's near the end of the day, some of the employees have left and I need to make a note like, hey, I don't want anybody to touch this stuff until tomorrow because we need to do a measurement on it before mm-hmm. we package these. Post-it notes are the short-term answer to the, qu- the answer should be found where you ask the question. Mm-hmm. It allows you to physically locate the answer where the question is. Yeah. What is this bin of parts doing here? No. These yeah. need to be measured before we package them. Mm-hmm. Andrew, do not ship. One of, my, one of our favorite notes that we refer to, we reuse it frequently. Anytime somebody's working on something and they leave it midstream and it needs to be left alone, we put a no touchy note on it. And we actually even have these little magnetic tags. Like we just recently moved some things around and we have a temporary extension cord run off some other outlet that is also switched with the overhead lights. Uh-huh. And like, hey, we don't want you to turn this off until you properly power down that thing. Yeah. So we took a magnetic no touchy tag and put it over the light switch. Mm-hmm. So if you walk over there just routinely to flip the lights off, yeah. there is a no touchy tag that prevents you from hitting the switch until you move the tag. That's and good if stuff. you don't know why the tag is there, touchy, the no yeah, touchy. I like that. I've had to wean myself off of post-its over the years because I used really? to use like the digital version of post-its, you know, in, in Windows. Like if you hit your Windows button and type in, I don't know, note, one of those is yellow sticky pad. It mimics something that exists in life. But I found that they were neither a good choice for long-term marking. Like we would never put a post-it on something because it's not tacky enough. Yeah. And then short-term, it was just too easy for me to stack them up. And I transitioned myself over to using Google Keep, which is kind of like a digital post-it. And it's funny if I were to show you, I have them like color-coded because at one point I used Nerd. I used color-coded post-its and I pin them to the top. So the whole, in Lean, the whole debate between color-coded 
color coordinated, color matched yeah. is fascinating to me. It's one thing, and we've talked about this before on the pod, like tooling manufacturers who have specific color codes mm-hmm. that have an absolute value. Yeah. Green is for non-ferrous, mm-hmm. et cetera. Black is for Inconel, right? <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Cherry red is for ceramics. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, you're melting things. Any tool's a welder if you use it wrong enough, et cetera. But in defense of post-it notes, I don't use post-it notes for any kind of long-term marking. The biggest thing that I use post-it notes for is they are signposts for me because I have to task switch channel surf more than anybody else in the shop does. Uh Right. And it's a way for me to instantly, nearly instantly output a brief note Mm-hmm. to myself about a particular thing so that I can press pause on that thing, go do something else, come back and pick up right where I left off. Yeah. And in that sense, I'm not trying to write a novel. I'm not trying to write product documentation. Mm-hmm. I'm just writing a shorthand note to myself so that when I get back to this thing tomorrow, mm-hmm. I do not forget the main thing I needed to tell me about it. Yeah, I used that same approach, gosh, it was probably close to 20 years ago where I would keep a little, there's, you know, your three by five cards and there's a three by five card box. I guess it's for keeping recipes or something. I would capture ideas of to-dos and I would put it in that. And sometimes you just sit down, you're uninspired, you feel like you've accomplished everything you needed to do on your to-do list. That doesn't happen these days. Go back 20 years with me. But I would just pop it open and flip through it. Or sometimes I'd pull one at random and go, oh, that, that's something I can start working on. It's that type of short-term communication to yourself that I think a post-it really excels in. Yeah. And I also use them to make very short-term, usually overnight only notes to particular people in the shop. Because I'm always here at the end of the day after everybody else leaves. And oftentimes as I'm going around and closing up, I see things that I want to comment on, but it's after work hours. I'm not going to take a photo or send a text to the employee. I just want to leave a note that says, hey, come talk to me about this or that thing before you resume this job in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I put their name on it and I stick it on the pile of stuff they were working on. So the next day there's something there just to prompt them to come talk to me. Yeah, no, that's good. And for that, going purely paperless, like my phone is not where the answer should be found. Right. There you go. Yeah. In today's morning meeting, I brought up the topic of there should be baseline lean principles. It's like a toolbox. That's the exact thing I said. It's a toolbox. And using post-its like that, like in David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, he talks about you should capture thoughts in a consistent kind of, I think he uses the word receptacle or receiver type thing. And it just needs to be consistent. Like for you, it's post-its. For me, it's Google Keep. And earlier when we started this, I, I remember thinking about, which I'm pretty sure I brought up on the podcast before, but how you see lean companies, especially the corporate lean shops using these clear windowed whiteboards where they draw on mm-hmm. because the backstory is, you know, when a, some American went and toured Toyota, he saw that they were writing notes on a piece of glass and that piece of glass could then be sh- seen from two sides. And if it was just a schematic, then you didn't have to walk around. It's not wasting motion, that type of thing. The full wraparound story is they wrote on that glass whiteboard because there were no white whiteboards left and there was a defective windshield 
from some vehicle, which they just said, yeah, we can scribble on this. And it got picked up and it got ran with. And so now everyone's, hey, you need to get a glass whiteboard. No, not really. It's a tool. I suppose it would work in some scenarios, but really lean is meant to be adapted to each scenario. And if you're just not there yet in a company, don't do 4S, don't do 5S, do 3S, do 1S, just sweep. A lot of companies could benefit just from 1Sing. They absolutely could. Yeah. And when I think back on all the changes that we've made over the years, we actually had a a client on site for three days this week, which for us is unusual. We don't typically have clients in our facility, but this was really valuable and very productive. And it was because we do a customer service team integration. We are an OEM for this client. We do all their retail fulfillment. It's Filster Holsters out of Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. formerly of Philadelphia, which is where the PHL airport code Filster comes from. Cool. The owner of the company is not named Phil. His name is John. Got it. But we are integrated with their CS Fresh Desk because we are their manufacturing partner and all warranty and replacement part shipments need to come from us. Mm-hmm. And so rather than have them have to handle everything and then send us an email and saying, hey, could you please ship this or that to so-and-so, it's way easier for them to have us as a user in their Fresh Desk and be able to assign things to us, tag things for us, and we set up a digital bulletin board so that our fresh desk, their fresh desk, and then the other related customer service things we're tied into cycle through on a big screen that's visible from our shipping area so that at a glance, you can just see, do we have pending tickets? And that has worked really well for at a glance awareness of there are things that need my attention. We're working on getting certain tags to enunciate tones mm-hmm. the same way that you guys have a speaker that makes certain sounds when an like, order comes through. Yeah. An order comes through, but also when an order of a certain ex- expedited shipping That's class right. comes yeah. through. Mm-hmm. And we want to have a similar thing. We actually already have an enunciator in our shipping software, which is as we're scanning packing slips and packing orders, when the shipping class changes to UPS ground or mm-hmm. USPS priority express, the speaker right at the packing station enunciates UPS or enunciates express. Mm-hmm. Because the majority of what we ship goes to U.S. Postal Priority, yeah. flat rate, padded yeah. envelope. It's right. just, it's our bread and butter. We do a ton of it. And anytime some exception is in the mix, uh-huh. we want the system to tone for the operator and not rely on them physically observing even a bright color code, yeah. but any kind of text on the screen. We just want them to be able to go, 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 UPS. pull a different envelope, make sure you verify it's a UPS label, and then it goes in a different outbound bin. Yeah. Hey, let me give you a hot tip on this because have you built out this order announcement system? Yes. It's been functional for a while. So we were building out, I think I spoke about this a few episodes back, but our leap engine, we call it a leap engine, which tells the operator which machine to go to next, what orders are hot. It's a no input, single output kind of production system and it's beautiful. It works great. At our old shop, we had it barking out orders and tones. And so tones, like what you talked about, like you should not have color codes. You should not do codes. You should have color associations, but you don't want decoder rings. That's what we call them around here. So (laughs) be sure to drink your Ovaltine. (laughs) Yes. So what commercial, what, what we found out was the guys were like, yeah, when it announces where to go next, it's just annoying. It's just a pain in the butt. Oh, in our first order announcement system, whenever an order came in that was next day air or second day air, it would do this like 
air raid siren, which I'm like, it's not cool. a good tone. It was just so bad. And it was the long, it was like the 10 second version of spooling up. Exactly. And so yeah, what no, we did, not we, good. then we just played our favorite clip of the, of a nineties song. And just, there it is. The other option is if you want people to respond to the cue very, very quickly, the sound keeps playing until they take the action. And yeah. all you need to do is record a clip of Fran Drescher talking. There you and go. And you will never, ever see employees jump to faster than that. So we kind of, that's funny you make that joke because I literally went on Fiverr or Upwork and hired a British vocal actress to what? record like all these phrases. I had her recite the really? alphabet. Yeah. So like oh, A. Man. B, so we could chop it up into say anything we wanted. And then the numbers and then VF, UMC, LSY, lathe, mill, like all these phrases, like it was like five minutes worth of just vocals, clips. clips. Yeah. And then we chopped them up. So it would say next up UMC 500. And it was just, really? it was actually pleasant. And it was in a female British voice. And the guys are like, yeah, that's a lot better. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it costs, I don't know, I, I do the 50 bucks or something, but it was worth it because it went from annoying to somewhat entertaining to when we had visitors, it was like, oh, that's really cool. I have to do that. And then there's, then they're grabbing the glass board, which is not the point. It's just make it less annoying. Now, the alternative would be you could rip a bunch of audio clips from Star Trek episode two, The Wrath of Khan. You sure could. And then have Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. That's yeah. good stuff. Next up, UMC 500. Yes, yes. <laughs> you could hire people these days with that type of, yeah. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. So it, back to the principle of the answer should be found where you ask the question. Yeah. We've been doing a lot more tagging of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we don't do process bins the same way that John Saunders does. Mm -hmm. But for certain discrete things, mm -hmm. like... We actually have a process shelf stored by our air compressors that has all the parts and pieces and everything we need for air compressor, regularly scheduled service maintenance cycle stuff. We don't have that stored somewhere else. It's all there on a ready shelf right by the machine it gets used for. But there are a number of other places in the shop where we also just did a big reorganization. In addition to moving our CNCs around, we also rearranged our packaging station. We've moved a bunch of benches. And one of the best lean tools for making quick shop rearrangements that we have is that little 400, 450 pound lift Japanese manual fork jack thing. I've put pictures on my Instagram, but we can move any of the benches, any of the tables around super quickly and easily with one person and not have to unload everything. We can just lift the table up and move it around. And so in the process of doing all that reorganization, changing work tables around, moving racks around, it has given us an opportunity to reassess, does this thing need to be stored here? Does it belong here? Is there any place else more logical that this should go? So when you ask the question, where do I get more of this thing? The answer of where to go to get it Yes. Is more intuitive. Love it.